When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters. Mark Lepresti, managing director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Mascioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, B3 Nation. We've got a big show today. Good to see you guys listening. And Mark, John, Alex, Nick, everybody on our team, good to have you guys as well. We got a heck of a week going on. We got we've got Canadian wildfires leading to crypto dumpster fires. We got GameStop being taken over by an activist investor. And of course, we have the poser Gary Hensler. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Alex can't wait. He's getting wound up right now. Good to see you guys in B3 Nation. Thanks for listening. This is the B3 Twitter space. It's Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow all our speakers. Please tweet out the space. It, it's helpful to us. And uh, we have a B3 after show after this, so you can stick around for that where you guys can participate as well. Good to see you guys all here. Mark Lepresti, um, it, today I think we're sponsored by our own team, Market Rebellion. Yes, Rob, we are on a big Thursday. Hello to the B3 Nation. I'm coming to you live from beautiful Sonoma, California, where we are hosting the 2023 Market Rebellion Live VIP Traders event, a select group of Market Rebellion subscribers and part of the Market Rebellion family are here with myself, uh, John, his brother Pete, and the Market Masters from the Market Rebellion team, AJ Monty, Glenn Fife, Ryan Mastro, uh, doing live trading. Um, we start the day here at 6 a.m. California time before the market opens. We're here on the open, and we actually uh, trade live with the folks that are here. It's an incredible learning experience. If you want to participate in the next one or to become a Market Rebellion subscriber and learn more about trading options and continue to improve your financial literacy, head on over to MarketRebellion.com. And we've actually got a BOGO going on right now. That's a buy one, get one free. We think we've got something on that on the sponsor page. We go to Rev Radio's website, go to our sponsor page. You'll see a link there. And you can learn more about the very exciting uh, buy one, get one free BOGO offer for Mark Rebellion courses. So that's marketrebellion.com. Mark, did you just make that thing up or am I just out of the loop with the BOGO thing? 
Bogo. No, but of course, it's a Bogo. Buy one, get one. Yeah. Okay, buy one, get one. Well, so speaking of buy one, get one, you can listen to the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain show and get all kinds of great advice, or you can go actually live trade with Mark Rebellion. It's like buy one, get one, because ours already is free. Um, what are you seeing, Mark, from your 6 a.m.? Clearly, you're not sleeping. You're going you're going around the clock, and then you're going to have some Napa parties and some wine festivals, because, you know, you live the good life. But what are you seeing? We're, we'll talk about crypto later. What are you seeing in the TradFi markets so far this week? Yeah, well, absolutely. So, so um, listen, we are in, as we discussed, the quiet period ahead of the Fed FOMC decision, 13 and 14. So market uh, somewhat range-bound, although continuing the bull run. Dow Jones gaining 177 points today, up 50 basis points. The S&P trading up 60 basis points, while the NASDAQ at a point and a half. Um, Amazon leading the tech bull run after bullish analysts' commentary shares rose more than 2%, also dragged the technology select spider fund up. Um, looking at the S&P, uh, still within striking distance of a key 4,300 level. We're also watching small cap stocks that have been doing really well lately. The Russell is up almost 8% in June and 7% year to date. Um, uh, indicating perhaps more good things in store for tech. We are, of course, watching, however, the concentration in the big tech names uh, dominating as a percentage basis a lot of the market rally that we've been experiencing. Um, I am also watching a few macro things. Uh, uh, Rob, I'm looking at, unfortunately, consumer credit card debt breaking yet another level or another record level, I should say. Uh, very concerned about the state of the American consumer. We also saw U.S. mortgage applications decline for the fourth consecutive week with mortgage rates at around 7%. Still very interesting dynamics in play in the state of the U.S. housing market. Record low supply, record low turnover, and the housing situation getting further and further out of reach, particularly for first-time home buyers. We also are looking at used car prices. Uh, used car prices fell almost 3% month over month for May. They're down almost 8% from a year ago. That information helped buoy Carvana, which is one of the names that John's going to talk about when he joins us. We also had unusual option activity in that name. And then just before we went live, can't leave this one out. As the audience knows, I'm a Tesla bull. I'm an Elon Musk fan. Tesla announcing, actually it was General Motors that made the announcement that they are going to follow along with their rival Ford in partnering with Tesla to use their vehicle charging network across the country. Tesla shares up. Almost 4% in the after when I looked at uh, three, 243 and change. So good news for Tesla Show. Hey, Mark, real quickly. Uh, when you put those macro things together, the record consumer debt, the mortgage applications down, making price, housing you know farther and farther out of reach for a lot of people, and the used car prices down. If you put that all together, are those three random things, or do they all collectively lead you to a conclusion about something? Well, so so, so they seem random. They all are indicators of, of different parts and pieces. If you had to sort of figure out a thread to tie it all together, Rob, we're trying to understand the most important components of where this economy is headed, where we are in the recessionary process. Have we sort of we know we reached peak inflation? Have we reached sort of peak recession? Right, because I think we've been in a recession for a lot longer than a lot of other uh, talking heads and some of the antiquated data that's used, particularly by our government, would indicate. So it's all around trying to get a more accurate picture of where we're headed directionally. And that, of course, helps to inform our position not only on the market broadly, 
but on where uh, different sectors and, of course, individual stocks might be headed. So it's 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 a it's pieces of a puzzle. It's a mosaic. You're hearing it from the wise man himself, Mark Lopresti. Hey, it looks like John Nigerian's not with us yet, so let's jump ahead. When when he joins, we'll do a for Fantastic Futures segment with him. But um, Alex, let's talk about the state of crypto, which you know, again, we're going to get into to Binance and and Gary Gensler and all kinds of fun things in the crypto section. But overall, the crypto markets have been a little quieter, but there's some good news, right, in that Bitcoin and Ethereum, those guys didn't take a tanking from what happened this week. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rob. So, you know, from from a price perspective, everybody was thought that Bitcoin and Ethereum would take a bigger price cut than it did. Um, it's been relatively range-bound, uh, you know, uh, couple things that we're looking at um, that relate to the TradFi market right now that are super important to, uh, you know, what we're paying attention to in the trading uh, aspect is upcoming CPI, excuse me, CPI. And of course, we have FOMC uh, on the horizon. Okay, so and I'm still a 25 basis point hike kind of guy. Um, but you know, I'm neutral. I'm not being affirmable on that right now. Uh, we have 1.1 trillion uh, market cap in crypto. It's even on the day, just about about only 27 billion trading hands, um, and that's down from last show where I said uh, 48 billion. So uh, quite the reduction volume, as you mentioned. Bitcoin at 26.5 below that 20,000 optic I was looking for, even on the day. And Ethereum at eighteen fifty one. Um, the board is looking, you know, uh, three fifty as far as red and green, the top one hundred. Um, and yeah, volumes low in Bitcoin, twelve point six three billion changing hands, and Ethereum is uh, just under five billion for the day. So um, you know, volatility is practically nil. Uh, volume is low, but what we did notice is stablecoin exchange net outflows over the last 24 hours, about a quarter billion dollars. Uh, and that's about a nine to one ratio over net inflows. So uh, stable coins being taken off the exchanges nine to one over uh, net flows in. What does that mean to you, Alex, seeing that, that big move in the stable coins? Um, it, it, what it means, what it means for me is it's uh, money being put on the sideline. So, uh, you know, when we see large uh, net inflows into uh, the top exchanges in tier one, some tier twos, uh, generally we expect volatility uh, to happen. And um, either, you know, that's going to amount to sell pressure or buy pressure. Uh, here, it looks like, uh, you know, we got some uh, profits, some short scalp profits being uh, taken off the table. Um, but we'll see that can always turn around tomorrow. Hey, and Nick Mancini, Director of Research for Trade the Chain, what are you seeing in other coins? Obviously, Bitcoin, Ethereum held, held their, their, their prices pretty well. But I'm guessing if you're, if you're in a lot of other coins, you might be worried that, you know, everything's fair game now. Like, everything's going to get shot at by the SEC. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, we're seeing a lot of bleeding across the alt sector. BNB is pretty much the the most beaten up asset, considering it's um, you know how, how closely tied it is with the Binance ecosystem. Um, Solana is another one that we actually mentioned last week, which was uh, mentioned in both the Coinbase and uh, the the Binance lawsuits as well. So another hit on that end. But you know we're still actually seeing FTX 2.0 news. So we'll see if that ends up evening out in the long term. Uh, but I think the one 
one notable coin that's worth mentioning uh, in terms of strength when we're talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum is Ripple, surprisingly. And then we have to remember that on the 13th, there is a litany of news coming out in relation to crypto. We have the Hinman docs. Uh, the SEC is supposed to respond to Coinbase's um, request for rules around the crypto sector on the 13th. And I think now there's a third uh, crypto kind of news segment that's happening on the 13th as well. So um, I, what, what we're kind of looking at is, you know, most alts outside of quote unquote Ethereum are probably not something you should really be paying too much attention to other than a pure trade play. Um, but I will say if you are thinking about, you know, buys, you know, Ripple is certainly something to think about as we lead up to the 13th. Great, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hey, it looks like we have Pete Nigerian uh, there with Marco Presti. And Pete, you can step in on behalf of your brother. And, uh, you know, good to have you on the show. Uh, and, and and you're out there with Marco Presti. Um, would love to have you talk about some future stuff you're seeing, but go ahead and weigh in on anything you've been listening to so far as well. Good to have you. Pete, you're going to have to unmute yourself. We can't unmute you. Okay, how about that? Perfect, perfect. Good All right, sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> yeah, I apologize about that. Uh, Mark Lepresti was helping me, but uh, I need a lot of help you, to get you on. You don't want but... <laughs> tech help from Mark. I'm sorry. Let's get it. <laughs> well, you brought the brought that up, and I'll tell you, tech absolutely an unbelievable week so far. I mean, it's been incredible. And you know, you guys talk about it, we talk about it, but um, in my world of options, the derivatives world. Tesla just continues to be an absolute magical stock. You look at the, the volume every single day, 3 million contracts today. NVIDIA had a million contracts. Apple traded nearly a million contracts. And I would say this, guys, AI is not dead. I know a lot of people want to kill it. They all want to think it's there's something going on there that's that's not right and it's not going to be able to perform. But I can tell you, we obviously know, know about NVIDIA. But how about something even like an upstart? I mean, I, I was looking at that one today and this AI-based platform that they've got for lending. They got about a 30% short, and that is giving a pretty decent squeeze to that name. So that, that I think, uh, combined with what we're seeing out of Carvana, which has a 45% short, we've had some call buying in there as well. You want to talk about a short squeeze? There's a pretty monstrous squeeze as well. So there's a lot to be said for what's going on, I think, in the markets right now. I think it's an interesting time for sure, and I think there are incredible opportunities in front of all of us. And it's it's been a lot of fun, um, but you've got to be on top of it because these moves are dramatic and happen very, very rapidly. And either you're in or you're out, and it's very difficult to chase. And I would tell people, don't chase these things. Just if you're fortunate enough to catch it, it's fantastic. And names like Palo Alto also throw in there. I'll throw in Adobe. And we're talking about a lot of different things that all obviously connect us with AI. And that's, that is not a dead subject yet, guys. And I'm not sure when it will be. But anybody who's calling it dead right now, I think is dead wrong. Hey, Pete, let me ask you a follow-up hey, hey. to that. When, when you talk about AI, and it's such an interesting outlook, and you, I'm sure you're probably right. Are there certain areas you think will be highly affected by AI? I mean, obviously the whole world will, but if you're looking as a market investor right now, are you going this industry or this 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 band of you know small cap stocks or whatever are probably going to have a big big burst because of AI? Well, and I think you you hit the nail on the head from the standpoint of some of the so maybe the market caps, some of the smaller market caps that are actually involved in that that area. But I don't think you can just say a specific one sector or anything like that. I think across the board, the way AI right now is being affected, and whether or not that's something that's you know just just here for the moment, I don't agree with that. But I but I do think that obviously everybody wants to be attached to something that's moving the way it is, right? So, and no matter what the industry is. 
anything that Im involves AI certainly is giving it a nice boost to the upside. And that's something that, you know, we've seen these things happen before and they will happen again and it'll be something else. But I'm very convinced that this is just the beginning still, still for AI. I don't think this is something that's over. And I think just about every industry that you, any of us can imagine right now, it's going to affect it in a very positive way for the most part. Um, obviously, not every single company is going to come through with it. But I do think that there are many where it's just going to help in so many different ways that we are going to be not surprised, not shocked. But I think it's going to be an amazing thing to watch over the next couple of months. Mark, go for it. So, so Pete, I mean, I, I'm going to do a little inside baseball here. Um, you know, we spent an incredible day not only hearing from you, but some of the great market technicians like A.J. Monty, Ryan Mastro here in Sonoma at this event. What are the technicals telling us specifically about NVIDIA? You know, in, in, in between sessions and when I was getting ready to uh, come down this morning to join the sessions, I lot, watched a lot of the talking heads on, you know, certain networks, maybe even a network that you and I and John used to be on all the time, uh, <laughs> trying to, I won't say which ones, um, try, you know, everybody trying to say, you know, NVIDIA's run out of gas. There's no more room for this thing to run. Don't try to keep chasing it to the upside. A lot of those people are some of the same people that are also saying AI is a bubble. And of course, yeah. we had a, there some famous quotes out from the, the founder of, uh, of Two Sigma, one of the world's largest hedge funds this morning coming out very aggressively suggesting that this whole AI thing is reminiscent of the dot-com, you know, pets.com days, specific to NVIDIA. More room to mm -hmm. run from here, or should people not try to catch it? Um, I think there absolutely is more room to run. It's obviously made this massive run, though, Mark. You and I both know that. And a lot of the people who hated it at 140 150 bucks suddenly love it at 340 350 400 It's It's always amazing to me. But I always try to blank that out, and I try to uh, approach it a different way. Obviously, when you look at the PE structure right now of NVIDIA, it is on the higher end. Now, that being said, what does it look like for the future, however? How much growth do they really have? I think that part of the piece is definitely there. We all know, we've heard from, from NVIDIA already, they've, they've given us really the blueprint of what they're seeing going forward, and it looks like a heck of a lot of growth, which means to me they can grow into this PE even though it's a little bit stretched. I think there's plenty of room still to the upside. It doesn't mean it's going to happen this week or this month, but I think over time this is a stock that absolutely can rock it to the upside. I'm not in that camp that says it's going to be 2 trillion anytime soon, but I certainly think it has room to the upside. And by the way, I will say this, we had three very bullish trades today, even in AMD, who's kind of been lagging, of course, when we're talking about N NVIDIA and some of the rest of it. But I think that's something important as well. I think that's a company that people are kind of leaving behind right now, but I think there's room for that name as hey, well. Pete, why do you think that is? Is I mean, is AMD, is the interest in that, that they think they're going to catch up and start doing you know more advanced chips or just that the, the, the chip market in general is going to benefit from what NVIDIA is doing? A bit of a combination of both, quite frankly, but I, I do think that a lot of people have discounted them as, oh, you know what, they, they missed the boat. I don't know that they missed the boat. I think this is a company talking to positive ways for many, many months now, and we've, we've looked at this company for a really long time. When you look at where it is trading from, a, from the standpoint of what, is the, what does it look like um, – from a PE perspective, what does it look like from a gross perspective? What does it look like from the chips, as you mentioned, but also getting themselves a little bit deeper into that AI sort of world? I think all of those things are a possibility. I think it makes a lot of sense after this little bit of a sell-off that it's had 
that maybe there is some upside for AMD as well. I don't think at the same pace right now as NVIDIA, but I do think that they have some legs, I think, to the upside for sure. You're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio and have all these conversations three times a week, Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and a special weekend edition on Sundays, also at 5.30 Eastern Time. Pete, feel free to stay with us. We're going to talk a little more TradFi, and then we're going to jump into um, – you're, we're going to jump into the poser. You know, your brother John loves to. Uh, I have to ask him every show. If Gary Gensler is a poser, so I might have to just ask you. In 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 lieu of your brother, is Gary Gensler a poser? It's <laughs> a great question. <laughs> well, your brother's answer is yes. Doctor J's answer is yes. Um, what, what you guys? What's going on with Bank of America saying that its private equity, its private clients are are selling equities for 10 consecutive weeks while big institutions and hedge funds are net buyers. Why is that happening? What what does that mean? Well, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll sort of lay the foundation a little bit, and then I would love to get Pete's take on this. Retail investors, and that's what that B of A report was about. It wasn't about the, necessarily the private bank investors, but sort of mass retail have indicated continued. You got to go, Pete? Oh, okay. Yeah, Pete's, Pete's telling me he's got to go. Pete, thank you, Pete and Jerry. appreciate the time. <laughs> no, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> See you at cocktails, Pete. Um, that that uh, retail investors have been um, leaving equities, have been selling stocks, simply put, for 10 cons- Conversely, hedge funds and professional money managers have actually been doing the opposite. Perhaps not to the same extreme, but inflows have been net positive from hedge funds and other professional money managers. We tend to look at trends like this because, unfortunately, time has told us that when retail starts to get bearish is around the same time that professional money managers start to get bullish, and they are more often than not usually the ones that are right in terms of market direction. So it's it's an interesting indicator. It's an important one. It's not a precise indicator, but it's definitely something that we watch. And when the balance of scales, when the balance officially tips, and, and for me, that was a piece of news that sort of gave me that indication that perhaps the retail pro-money balance of bull to bear has tipped, that it's an indication we might consider as a bullish signal. Hey, Mark, do you think you said, do you think that the, re, the, the retail investors, as they become more bearish, are the institutional investors paying attention to that and going, ah, this is a sign? Like, is that an actual indicator for them to go, if they're all selling, we should buy <laughs> Uh, you know, that's a great question. I, I we, we spend a lot of time uh, with, with the hedgies in, in different contexts. And, and you know, we're, we're lucky. Um, I consider that lucky. It's some of the smartest, some of the smartest traders that, that I've met, um, you know, are, are, are PMs and, and work for some of the world's largest hedge funds. Um, and, and so um, I don't think I've ever heard a single one of them say, hey, retail is bearish. It's now time for me to get long and, and get long more leveraged. Um, I think it's more an indication, as I said, of of sort of where where things are going. But I'm also proud to mention that we we lost one Nigerian brother in favor of getting another one. So the universe, the yin and yang, does truly balance itself out. John is here. Uh, Hello, John. What, what, John? What do you make of this? uh, The retail selling and the and the hedgies look like they're they're going long and getting bullish again. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think you accurately called it, Mark, that the uh, the fact that retail normally gets bet against, I don't think this is a time that's different from 
uh, previous times when uh, the 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 hedge funds who you know they're not necessarily smart money, but they certainly are informed, and when they are buying and the retail is selling, I would say most people on this uh, uh, particular Twitter space would say, well, I want to be with the big money guys. I want to be uh, betting that we see higher prices rather than lower just because retail selling, you know, other than for CNBC or some network to say, oh, well, what are the people doing over at Schwab or this or that? Who cares? I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I wish them luck, but I, it's not like I bet that uh, my my mortgage or anything else on the idea that retail is going to be right. And that's not to insult you guys. That is to say that the people that where that big money is going, number one, they're going to move the market more than the little bit. They usually have a pretty good um, insight into why they are buying. And as Mark knows, that's why we follow the smart money. Um, again, they're not necessarily smarter or better looking than the other folks, uh, but they do have uh, a much bigger bat when they're swinging, and that bat normally uh, hits at a higher batting average than retail. So that would be maybe a good sign, then, that maybe volatility is going to start coming back, no? Maybe it, are we bringing volatility back again? That's a good question, Rob, but really... I would say it has to come back at some point um, just because we're at a very low point right now in terms of volatility. People that sell insurance, that means uh, whether that insurance is a downside protection with a put or whether that insurance is rather than buying um, Apple at 190 bucks a share, I'm going to buy a $2 call option to the upside instead. Um, that's also a form of insurance, either against a short or because the person doesn't want to put that $190 on the line. They just want to put $2 or $4 on the line instead. I think those uh, are indications that uh, pretty soon we're going to see higher volatility just because people aren't being rewarded for providing that insurance. So I have to ask, John, um, well, before you were here, um, um, Alex made his prediction that he is still betting on a 25 basis point hike. So I have to do my poll and ask you and Mark, you know, the, the ever shifting tide of the feckless fed. Are you on, are you still on a hold? Are you on a 25 up or are you on a cut? I'm, I'm still on a hold. I'm still on, if they're truly data driven, they do not have the data that implies that they have to uh, increase rates again at this meeting. Now, it could very well be, Rob, that these guys have once again lied to us and they are not data-driven. But if they are truly data-driven, and I saw a bunch of examples today of stocks that were getting clocked um, to the downside um, that indicate that the consumer has been back, um, I, I think the, the logical conclusion would be that taking a month to rest rather than just pounding it, um, is the more prudent path. Mark, Mark is, 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 uh, is, is the Fed data driven, the feckless Fed? 
if if the Fed's data driven, Robin's data that they're getting from a damn ticker tape machine. Um, look, the the the, the Fed is data driven, but the data is not uh, as current as it should be. They're not using the most available data, but but at the end of the day, we are no doubt looking at a pause in, in at the next meeting, thirteen and fourteen June. The market's pricing in about a seventy four or so, seventy five percent. Uh, a chance that that it's a pause. The question is whether the pause is a hawkish pause or a dovish pause. And yes, I know we're coming up with some really other cute names, you know, soft recession, hard landing, uh, soft default, hard hawk pause, dovish pause. But, you know, that's why we get paid the big money, allegedly, because we come up with all these cute little titles for things. But in this instance, it really is very relevant. And what does that mean? What we're trying to do in the markets and smart money, trying to understand whether or not when the Fed pauses in the Fed and Jay Powell's commentary, if he leaves the door open aggressively for further rate hikes between now and the end of the year, or as my Armenian brother from another mother, Dr. John Nigerian, continues to maintain that we might see cuts before the end of the year. Today's job numbers giving the Fed more reason to take that pause, I'm thinking it's going to be a hawkish pause, hopefully a slightly hawkish pause, um, because the uh, numbers that we got this morning of the jobless, jobless claims increasing from the previous print and and certainly not anywhere near what we got in the numbers, the jobs numbers that came out last week, which actually kind of scared the, the bejesus out of me and a lot of other traders thinking because, of course, those numbers indicating that the uh, jobs market remained red hot in favor of, of employees, not employers, and that the Fed had not inflicted enough damage on the employment market to uh, indicate that a pause is appropriate. But I think we got a, a mildly hawkish pause on June 14th. Alex Massiel, ask a word on this oh. because you got two against you. We are. I think this is the foundation for it, my friend. Uh, um and uh, I'm willing to uh, take that bet. And even with jobless uh, data, um, I am going to go with the fact that, and like I said in the beginning, I'm neutral. I, or you know, I've paused. I'm not. I'm not bullish uh, anymore on the twenty. You know, further on the twenty-five basis point hike. Although I am still think it's going to happen. Um, I haven't reversed course yet. But I believe that if we continue down the path until that FOMC time comes uh, and nothing material or drastic changes, we're going to uh, copy what our neighbors in the North uh, just did. Well, the bet is on. What, what, set everything on fire and send it this way? Well, that's what I was thinking. But no, the 25 (laughs) basis point. We'll talk about the fires later. I uh, (laughs) <laughs> well, let's talk about the fires right now. So uh, just very quickly. So, you know, the fires are going. Um, it's dystopian in New York City or was yesterday. Um, people have, you know, bring masks back again because they're wearing them. Slight delays at LaGuardia and maybe one other airport. My my sense on this, but I want to hear your guys' take is, you know, this is not going to be a huge thing in terms of in the in the current in terms of airline revenues or in terms of mask sales. But it may be a, a, a you know, a, a harbinger of things to come if this kind of stuff keeps happening and we keep seeing cities smoked out. Your guys thoughts? 
Well, you know, I'll start off and then just let John and Alex chime in. I think this thing really caught uh, folks by surprise, certainly caught me uh, by surprise. I've been on the West Coast all, all week this week, but, you know, with the family uh, uh, back east um, and and uh, some of them in the city, uh, it was a really, really scary thing. You know, the, the, the air quality index hit you know, 288 out of 300, and I might be getting that that wrong. I'm not a climatologist um, or a dermatologist for that matter. Uh, but um, it's it's something that I think uh, will potentially be opening people's eyes that this could happen again. Um, so we are looking at things like like 3M and other companies that are you know in the mask business. And you know, as far as the airlines are concerned, Rob, there was there was a full ground stop. It wasn't, you know, one or two airports temporarily closed. We, we had a full tri-state ground stop in New York because in, uh, in and not just in New York, New York and New Jersey yesterday, uh, because of a limited, very, very limited visibility, more than 1,600 flights were delayed or canceled. Um, and we're seeing the, the ongoing effects of that today. You know, when that happens at those three major airports, of course, Newark, LaGuardia and JFK, uh, the ripple effects continue for a while, but um, airline stocks so far seem to be unaffected by these delays. Interesting. I thought it was just a ground stop at LaGuardia, but either way, it's. It, my, I think the question would be, you know, if this kind of stuff keeps occurring, which it's possible it does. I mean, and we're not going to dive into the whole climate change conversation right now, but stuff is definitely happening. Places are hotter. I mean, climate conditions changing for whatever reason are affecting people's behavior beyond, say, masks. Are there certain sectors that might actually be like you're keeping your eye on going, huh, I don't know if it's sectors that have to do with pooling or, or finding, you know, interesting, you know, using sulfur to, to knock to knock down carbon emissions or, you know, are, are there some new tech areas that might be getting more light from this? Well, cl- you know, climate tech has been one of the two hottest VC sectors for the past two years and running in part as a result of this. But, John, what, what do you think? Yeah, certainly, Mark. Um, and the, uh, the, the ground stoppage, this isn't the same as, uh, for instance, when we had, many of you will remember, um, maybe it was a decade ago or a little less, when we had the eruption in Greenland or Iceland, I forget, putting a lot of volcanic ash in the air, and the planes couldn't fly through it. They thought it would be too dangerous, so they had to route around it and or cancel flights. Um, this isn't that kind of danger. Um, but it is dangerous, even with the radar the towers have, to know where the planes are on the runway, that it was apparently so bad. Mark showed me a number yesterday that on a scale eight yesterday, in terms of danger, that in particular for that city, for New York, does not bode well for the already hurting restaurant industry, uh, because obviously if we're not going out and instead you go back to DoorDash and so forth until the air clears. That's something that paying rent and trying to make that decision whether or not they uh, extend that lease or say, you know what, it's been a good run. We just got to shut it down. That will push some of those people into that, unfortunately, that latter category. Let's just shut it down. Um, I don't think this is going to be a regular thing at all. Um be the, the winds as well as that fire happened to to uh, be a I know it's overused but a perfect storm for this particular impact 
uh, of the East Coast by these Canadian fires. Yeah, and also, by the way, though, we do have a lot of a lot of heat going on. I mean, you know, Alex and I are in Puerto Rico, and it was like 110 or whatever. Uh, FYI, John, you know, as you know, we had a great steak in your absence, but, you know, you didn't miss out. You missed out on the best the best uh, steak ever. I'm, I'm blaming Pat. I'm blaming our producer, Patrick Rob. He's the one up there. I don't know if we lost Rob there. No, I'm here. I am. He, John's just refusing to listen because I was talking about our steak dinner in Puerto <laughs> Rico. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, let's blame Patrick. Hey, last trad fight topic we have. You're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. This is our Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern show. We do a weekend show, a Sunday edition, 5.30 Eastern. And after each show, we have a Beyond B3 where you guys who are listening in B3 Nation can participate in the conversation about the topics that we're talking about as well as some new ones. So it's kind of a great way to have more interaction. It's a two for one, or as Mark says, buy one, get one on BOGO. I've now learned that phrase. Um, and follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow all our speakers and please share the, the space out, tweet the space out. So last TradFi topic, GameStop. So I'm fascinated by what's been going on with GameStop ever since um, Robin Hood and that whole thing and taking it to the man. But Ryan Cohen is a activist investor and they they dump their CEO and and bring this guy in. So on the surface, there's a lot going on with GameStop. Mark, you want to weigh in on what what that means just on the business side in terms of the stock and the value of the company and their earnings and all that and is the market happy with this change? Well, so so uh, Ryan Cohen, the very famous activist that you accurately point out, uh, Rob, actually took control of, of this uh, company back in September of 2020 um, as executive chairman uh, when when he uh, he used his his hedge fund as an activist hedge fund to, to take uh, take control and, and appoint board members and do the things that activist funds do uh, mr. furlong was the CEO but a lot of sort of the inside information um, or inside uh, uh, leaked information, not inside information in the uh, type of sort of MNPI, but just you know chatter from former employees, was that uh, you know, Ryan Cohen was really the guy in charge, regardless of whether or not uh, Furlong was was the CEO. And it was a very unceremonious departure. You know, a three sentence announcement that came out after the close yesterday, uh, announcing it, and then the SEC filing indicated that the guy was actually filed uh, on on Monday. Uh, and Furlong, having a fairly short tenure as the CEO, he came over in July of 21 from Amazon, where he actually oversaw Amazon Australia. And he he was uh, brought over uh, by uh, by Ryan Cohen. Uh, but uh, Cohen obviously not uh, being happy with how he performed as the CEO. GameStop, as a lot of our listeners know, actually reported its first quarterly profit for Q1 in over two years after firing hordes of employees and closing lots of brick-and-mortar stores. But, of course, that didn't last for very long. The company running once again in the black. And, and look, I, I think this thing's hopeless. I think that you know you're, they're, they're selling video games and video game consoles in an industry that is going entirely uh, into smart TVs and into the cloud. You know, you're, you're not... As you can imagine, uh, the makers of video games would much prefer to not make consoles that uh, you know you have to buy chips and all this other jazz 
it would be much easier to deliver games to the same price, upcharge them a little bit to make up for the console sales, deliver them to smart TVs via the cloud. And that's where it's headed, whether or not GameStop really wants. So they're sort of selling buggy whips, uh, you know, in a in a in an economy that already has cars on the road. In my well, let me, opinion, let, you know, you know, that's people an interesting just want point. this thing to go to five hundred bucks again. All right, <laughs> it's, it's the Robin Hood. But Alex, Alex, you know, I I interviewed Chris Barnes from one of the Guardians from Telos, a, a not super well known blockchain, last week because GameStop announced GameStop announced that they are doing uh, put, partnering with Telos to allow gamers to use, move assets between games. And GameStop does have relationships with a lot of the big ga gaming platforms and companies. So if they do that, maybe, Mark, they are maybe trying to make that shift to going, if we can allow gamers to get more, you know, more act, more interaction, move their assets around, own them, rent them, sell them, you know, uh, pay-to-play kind of stuff, um, they could be making a shift, an early shift toward Web3, realizing their, their, their brick and mortar will go away. But if they're embedded and, and they have the big gamers doing it with them, maybe they're shoehorning themselves in. Is that, is that too big a reach? But, but they don't make games, right? They're, they're a retailer right. of other people's games. So I'm not uh, – and I didn't see that news, so I might not understand the whole thing. The thing would be that the gamer the, – the people who make games will be working with GameStop. So you'll watch – you know, essentially you'll be – GameStop will be part of your watching experience. You'll watch it through the GameStop platform. You don't have to buy it, but you'll watch it that way. So they're shoehorning themselves in. I, Alex, I don't know if you or Nick followed that at all. It was fascinating to me what what – you know, what Telos said they were doing. Yeah, no, Telos is, uh, you know, they have great vision. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of other companies or a lot of other uh, uh, blockchain uh, companies that are thinking the same thing. Um, I think to Mark's point, it's, this might become a blockbuster situation. And I think GameStop uh survives and maybe thrives if all of a sudden we hear an unveiling of an extraordinarily awesome idea to you know to be a solution to the dystopian uh world that video game consoles are in right now and we're flabbergasted but i don't see that um i i think they may be a little late to the party but who knows maybe you know it's, i i just can't say i would say Alex, that the biggest problem really with today's announcement, certainly it was a surprise for the street to hear that furlong has been furloughed, as uh, Mark would say. Um, but I think the real issue was, okay, now we're going to put off our earnings report too. Um, that's what scares the street. It's, it's uh, obviously exacerbates the issue that you dropped um, your CEO that you picked up from Amazon and that you dropped him very quickly. Um, the fact that Ryan Cohen may have been able to garner a little more support um, for the stock and the shares uh, was overwhelmed by the fact that they also cut those uh, earnings off. They're not going to, they didn't do the earnings. Instead, they announced that they're firing Furlong. So that is not something that the street would deal very kindly with no matter who was being cut and no matter who was being brought in as CEO. Interesting. Keep an eye on it. Well, and again, on this tech stuff, Mark and, and Alex, I think, I think that is what GameStop wants to do. Maybe they're too late to the party, but I think they want to be able to basically provide a platform that the big game, 
big games are are integrated in through GameStop because well, of assets through Telus. I don't think you know, uh, it, it's a so your your point's a really good one, Rob, and it relates to what John was just talking about uh, and what Alex was just talking about. And by that, I mean the street's been waiting in the last eight earnings calls for something along those lines of that plan. We're coming out with a platform in the cloud. We're going to become a gaming platform, not a brick and mortar retailer that's selling, you know, Japanese anime dolls. And like, I'm not joking. If you've been into one of the few GameStops remaining in the New York City area, half of the shelves are with stuffed Japanese anime. Like, that's great. I'm sure there's a market for it. But that unto itself does not make a brick and mortar retail business. And the reality part of why we said, or Ryan Cohen said so long for a long um, that he was not able to come up with the plan, notwithstanding Cohen obviously had great uh, uh, hopes for this guy. Ryan handpicked them from Amazon. He was running Amazon Australia. It wasn't like uh, this was a surprise to Ryan Cohen. This was somebody that that Ryan Cohen hoped would turn the company around. He had two years to do it and came up with nothing. And I think that's why we said goodbye to this guy. And, and John, you know, the, aren't they also the company that, like, gave next to nothing in terms of guidance, right? Forward-looking guidance. I know that became in fashion during COVID to stop giving forward guidance. But GameStop, if I remember correctly, are they not in that in that uh, category? I believe they are, Mark. And like I say, anytime you have a situation where um, either through just a misstep, um, which if this was a misstep, that they cut off their earnings call because allegedly of this firing of Furlong and so forth. Um, that's not going to sit well with any group of shareholders, in particular, a group that has been carved up pretty hard, the shorts, that is, in GameStop. Um, they're going to feast on that, and the longs are going to have a difficult time describing why this is such a great deal for uh, you know them and or other shareholders that might join them. How did well, you got a profit in in the last quarter uh, after such a long time and with such a, a dying sunset, uh, sundowning business model. They they they, they slashed you know forty percent of their operations, but both brick and mortar stores as well as people. It was it was just pure cost cutting in in my opinion. This is one of their last is one of their last uh, you know things they're able to do then. Well, you know, talk to the Bed Bath and Beyond board about how that went. (laughs) And Mark, you're right, because, and so is Alex, that uh, this is like one of those old time uh, movies where uh, they're trying to get the train into the station and they start breaking up the wood that is the seats on the on the train and (laughs) throwing those into there to get the steam engine to keep going forward. Um, eventually you run out of cars and uh, wood. And if you don't have wood or coal, you're not going to get that train moving. Well, unless, I, I put it in the, unless you put it in the cloud. But I'm going to suggest that <laughs> if you, the interview with Chris Barnes, the, one of the elected guardians at Telos, is on the Street Crypto. Um, it's a roundtable Street Crypto interview because, you know, as you guys know, roundtable is now doing the Street Crypto. So you can see the interview I did with him. It's pretty interesting. And I'm going to use this as a segue, Alex, to because we are we are running out of time and I don't want to miss our crypto block. I also there's an interview today I did with you and and Nick Mancini on what's going on in the wake of this Binance stuff. And one of the things that you mentioned in it is that Gary Gensler 
apparently, now I know this is coming from Binance's lawyers, so who knows if it's true, but when he was at MIT, talked to Binance about coming on as a consultant. Is there any, is this, is there truth to this? Is there any way to find out? I mean, first, I'm about to hand off the mic to Nick, because on our trading show, he actually uh, discussed, but uh, is there any truth? I mean, if it, I, I would doubt that his lawyers would present, uh, you know, this type of accusation without their, without them seeing sort of paper trail or chat trail, because as we all know, uh, the chat trail is what is driving uh, Binance into the great SEC right now. So uh, where there's smoke, there's got to be fire. But yeah, uh, Nick spoke about this today. Yeah, so there was actually a lot of interesting news around Gary Gensler and the SEC that came out yesterday, um, even prior to, I believe, the the Binance accusations of Gary Gensler uh, attempting to be their advisor, I think around 2019, Janet Yellen uh, came out, so I don't think she just came out and said this, I think it was during an interview, but she said that uh, she wants to see crypto uh, with regulation through Congress that supports the industry. Now, uh, around that time as well, Robinhood reported that they tried to engage for 16 months with the SEC. This is very similar to what Coinbase said. Robinhood tried to engage with them for 16 months. At the end of 16 months, they were told, uh, too bad, so sad. Uh, there are not going to be any rules that allow you to properly trade, quote unquote, crypto securities on your platform. So uh, a lot of equals right there. Uh, and then, of course, now we have Binance saying that Gary Gensler wanted to you know, be an advisor. So uh, this is not stacking up good uh, in Gary Gensler's direction. Uh, and, you know, we actually, and on top of that, we had another Democratic congressman who sits on the Financial Services Committee uh, out of New York saying that he wants to see crypto regulation passed and that the way Gary Gensler is going about uh, regulation by enforcement is not the correct way to go. So um, that's like four or five headlines that uh, really are anti-Gensler and anti-his uh, his, his modus operandi. Brandi. And I think uh, we're going to see a lot of news headlines heating up in the near future, both for and against crypto. But I will say what's fascinating, the House Financial Services Committee has both Democrats and Republicans very much in favor of crypto friendly regulation. And I think that's something we really need to take note of moving forward. And uh, also, also, also real quick, Mark, Gary Gibson may have to recuse himself here. If no oh, that ain't going to happen. That is not happening. Billion. I mean, the conflict of interest of applying for a job as an advisor to the exchange you are now, uh, you know, crucifying uh, goes beyond any words I can come up with. You know what? I'll give you a word for it. John, I asked your brother Pete. He thought it was a great question. I've asked you before. I'll ask you every single time. Is Gary Gensler a poser? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, more and more evidence points to the the fact that he is indeed a poser. Um, now, does he understand crypto? Yes. Um, and do you have to have made a single trade in crypto to regulate it? I don't know that you have to, but it certainly means that your experience with both the technology, the ownership, the storage the transfer of that asset and so forth, he knows almost nothing about that because he has not done any of those things by his sworn testimony before Congress. So yes, it's further proof that he is a poser. 
It's further proof that he is willing to do almost anything to try to stay in this job, even though he has done such a horrific job uh, regulating and basically not doing his job, not helping. Because, again, these were two firms that wanted to work with the SEC. They just wanted to be sure that they were within the guidelines. And instead, he denies them that opportunity and then says, here's a Wells notice. See you later. And then 30 days later or so, he hits them with charges. But wouldn't it make sense, though, what, what John is saying to, to the to the fact that, you know, these companies are asking for guidance. And if Congress steps in and legislates based on what Nick's saying, would that somewhat solve the problem? And the second piece of that is so you're the former lawyer in the room. Um, the SEC, the, the a court just ordered the SEC to have seven days to answer Coinbase's um, um, request for clarity on what they'd asked for before the SEC did this this week, and they have to have seven days to do it. Is that meaningful, or will they just go? Well, we're not going to. We have a reason. Yeah, yeah. So, so a really good question, um, and this is something that's getting no coverage. Uh, no coverage. This is the second time I've brought it up in a room full of very sophisticated people. John and I on the conference circuit on the West Coast this week, as as we've mentioned. And no one has heard about this, right? And I'm talking, of course, about the Third Circuit Court of Appeals that has finally responded to Coinbase's uh, request for an administrative petition to asking the court to force the SEC to respond to a petition it filed back in April of last year, which the SEC, despite the court rules, has completely ignored. And what the judge did, what the Court of Appeals did, Third Circuit Court of Appeals did, said, look, you have to respond to this. You're still subject to the jurisdiction of this court like anybody else. You have to respond substantively or, and this is the interesting one that I think the SEC will rely upon in providing a BS response, show cause why they should be, they should not have to actually provide the regulatory clarification that Binance has been asking for, that the industry has been asking for for so, so long. And, and just two other things I want to mention. One, you know, you asked at the top of the question about this, do we know if it's true? Is it just conjecture about whether or not Gensler was actually seeking to engage in some sort of a uh, advisory position with uh, Binance back in 2019? This was actually first, Rob, reported a couple of weeks ago from the Wall Street Journal. And the journalist at the Wall Street Journal, a pretty uh, uh, a credible publication and as far as I'm concerned, um, uh, actually uh, cited internal messages, emails, and things of that nature that they had um, uh, uncovered in the course of their uh, investigative journalist uh, uh, effort on, on this story. Um, and yes, I mean, the, the lawyers representing Binance and Zhao, uh, Gibson and, and uh, Latham, Latham and Watkins, one of the world's largest and most preeminent law firms, uh, making these filings in what I am... Uh, pretty sure I've not looked at the document would be filed with the support of an affidavit, a, a sworn statement under oath attesting from somebody as to their validity. So um, I, I think there's every reason to believe that this story is real. And then the last thing I'll say, and I'll get off my my uh, 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 soapbox is the SEC has two roles. One is enforcement. And yes, that's important. And the SEC should execute its role as the chief enforcement cop of the securities markets in this country. But the other role is regulation. 
And part of regulation is rulemaking. And what Binance and Coinbase have both said this week, particularly Coinbase, we think it is a fundamental unfairness and miscarriage of the system of justice in this country, not just criminal justice, but justice in general, to utterly fail to provide the rules of the game and then commence enforcement action against parties for violating these unspoken rules. And that, I think, is where the biggest problem is. Listen, yeah, Rob, you know, I'd love to say Go this ahead. is going to end badly for uh, Gary Gensler uh, after all that's come to light. But the points that Mark makes uh, and the position he holds, I'm, I'm afraid that it, it it's not going to end badly for Gary Gensler. And that's a shame. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, and everybody out there, B3 Nation, listening to this, when, when Mark and everyone's talking about, you know, enforcement, you know, regulation by enforcement, think about if you were a parent and you had kids and they said, hey, mom and dad, um, you know, are, are we allowed to go out after 11? What time's our curfew? Um, can we use the car? Can I go to friends' houses for a party? If I'm at home with friends, can we drink a little? And the parents said, we're not going to tell you. you. You do what you want. And then you did all those things and they're like, you're grounded for, for six months for this, 10 months for this. You can never do this. You'd be like, hey, I ask. It's literally no different than that, Mark. It's literally, and Alex and John, it's no different at all. It's literally, right. that's what companies are facing. It's like, how the F can we possibly know what to do when we asked you for guidance and you didn't tell us and then you punished us? And it's and it's unfair. That's a really good analogy, Robin. I love stuff that breaks it down into the simplest terms because a lot of this stuff does get complicated and a little bit inside baseball on the regulatory and the, and the legal side. So so that's that's really well said. But I think you would also complain if the parent turned around and said, well, your great grandfather enacted a rule 75 years before you were born that had absolutely nothing to do with what you're doing activity wise now. But that's the rule you should follow. And I told you that that's the rule you should look at. That is funny. <laughs> you're not allowed to ride your horse on the street. Yes, that, that's it. I, again, another great analogy. I mean, the 33 Act, which I know very well was not designed with crypto in mind in 1933. I don't think that's something that anybody can debate unless you know Stradamus, and I don't think he's available. He's not on this basis. Well, just to follow, oh, go ahead, Nick, go ahead. I, I was going to say, just to follow that up, I mentioned it earlier, but for anyone else who's joining now, the SEC, the Hinman docs are supposed to be released on the 13th as it stands now, as well as uh, at the SEC's response to the judge in the Coinbase lawsuit is also slated for the 13th, yep. which I believe also FOMC is slated uh, for the 13th and the 14th. So the middle of next week is going to be hot across all markets like well i think a lot of people think we might get a ufo sighting and that will just bury officially right that's what you like all this means you should definitely be three nation be tuning into our shows uh next week tuesday and thursday um and and getting the latest on it all um before we go guys quick wrapping this up um and because everybody out there we we wrap up and then beyond b3 takes over and it's a show where you guys all get to participate join in engage some of the same topics some new ones and again we do this every tuesday thursday with a sunday edition 5 30 eastern time at get rev radio so please follow us all the speakers but last quick thoughts on this is it possible i'll start with you alex that, that if enough people in congress start seeing that this is a problem that both from both sides that we need to have structure crypto friendly regulation that protects investors steps in does that short circuit your problem with Gary Gensler that he he doesn't come out ahead because Congress steps in and gives the guidance and maybe that's the only way this happens. 
I, I think I think uh, Congress should step in and do an overhaul of the SEC. To be quite frank, um, to Mark's point, there's a lot of antiquated uh, rules that are there uh, that are you know the way they were written are preventative of you know uh, further adoption and innovation that weren't around back then. Um, so I think an overhaul is in order. And uh, listen, over the last eight years of politics on the Hill, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff we thought would never happen happen. And uh, I think maybe this is actually quite could be a possibility after his behavior. John, do you buy that? Do you see it happening or do you see some kind of congressional? There is a movement as you know, of more and more members starting to say we need to do something, whether it's overhauling the SEC or providing some structure for crypto. Well, we both know that uh, uh, there's a lot of politics at play here. I don't know that Gensler has raised enough money um, prior to him becoming SEC chair that he has enough sway to really uh, keep that job. If enough, if if more than one Democrat turns against him, he's toast because, you know, rank and file, every Republican would be against him just because he's a Democrat. And because, you know, he supported Sam Bankman-Fried with meetings, um, with uh, trying to craft regulation that would be supportive of Sam's business model against the other business models, et cetera, et cetera. I would say, Rob, that out here, I'll make this quick, um, we had, you know, a bunch of really high-end customers that were delighted to have as part of Market Rebellion. And we, uh, when I was describing this, I thought a decent descriptive of it was that we had that uh, gold peg where the United States said, first of all, you can't have your your gold in the way that you used to have it, especially backed by, uh, you know, uh, gold notes and silver notes and so forth. Um, And instead, we're just going to tell you what gold is. It's $32 an ounce. Well, that just meant that Americans were screwed and Europeans and Asians did quite well because they were able to buy and sell and trade gold, um, whereas it was very restrictive here. We're doing the same thing now with crypto, and Americans will get screwed the same way through this, whether it's the lack of regulation, whether it's the uh, increased enforcement actions uh, that will keep all of this innovation offshore. Yeah, and our way... Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say on on just a financial standpoint, I mean, it's a $1 trillion industry now. It was near a four or $5 trillion industry at its peak. And just purely creating a tax base in the US that's billions of dollars of tax revenue, not to mention the boost on GDP from keeping onshore a multi-trillion dollar industry. So if anyone is arguing that this is to protect the dollar, well, if you get more tax money and you have more GDP, the dollar is more safe and more sound. So I don't get the argument of moving it offshore. And I think it's a grave mistake financially and economically. I just wanted to throw that in from the numbers. I agree. Mark, 60 seconds, and then we're going to pass our show over to the Beyond B3. But, you know, since you are, again, the former lawyer, is there hope in, in legislative reform? No. <laughs> you need 60 seconds for that. You, you don't want to hear the two-word answer second. because you don't want to hear the two-word answer because I'd get yelled at by our producers for cursing. So let's just stick with no. <laughs> Guys, great show. Um, John, Mark, Alex, um, and Nick for joining in. Um, This is the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces Tuesday. 
Thursday. Sorry, I'm laughing because I just saw a text in our thread from our producer saying, yep, he would have gotten, he would have been yelling. Um, join us every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time at Get Rev Radio. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.